0: Hey, this is your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we've got confetti chrysophase, getcha light. We've got agates on the beach of Oregon and so much more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at radical rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks, and things. There were sand and hills and rain Radical rocks are everywhere and today we are going to talk about radical rocks all over the place. We are going to talk about gold too. We got the rich gold hill claim and we might talk about turquoise today. Um, How you can make your own turquoise if you like that. We'll talk about the western star mine. We'll talk about agates on the beach in Oregon. Uh, some Fossil News, Lucky Stones, you know, we just had uh, St. Patty's Day, so let's check that out. Cabin Gold Ore, how about that? And then Confetti Chrysophase, uh, or calcedony, however you want to look at it. So let's talk about some of this stuff today. I want to thank everybody for liking and subscribing and sharing uh, the podcast. You can get it on any app, and also uh, the YouTube videos. Uh, and also our social media and all that good stuff, check it out. Just look up Radical Rocks or Radical Rocks USA, and you will find us all over the place. So let's get started. You know what? I've got even more news than what I told you about. The Big Ugly Diamond. It has been unearthed in Arkansas uh, in the United States. One of these uh, park visitors unearthed a huge diamond but they say it's kind of ugly. Our friends at BBC.com, uh, Max Mat- Matsia, tell us all about this. The park has dubbed this diamond Bud by the man who discovered it. The Big Ugly Diamond, that's an acronym B U uh, G, Bud. And Dave Anderson, a lucky tourist from Tennessee, found the 3.29 carat brown diamond on March 4th at Crater of the Diamonds State uh, Park. So they usually find, you know, one or two little tiny diamonds each day at the park. Some of them not of much of a count. But every once in a while, uh, they find some really giant uh, ones that come out, some special ones. Sounds like he did pretty good. He had uh, got one that was 1.5 carat that was white, and he became hooked. And he has collected some 400 little diamonds uh, since. And other top finds that were uh, made was a 3.83 yellow carat uh, diamond found in 2011 and a 6.19 carat white diamond found in 2010. So uh, pretty cool. He plans on selling this to some jewelers in the area. So good for him for... Being able to get a profit. It says, so far this year, 124 significant diamonds have been found. Um, the last largest park, uh, says this is the largest diamond found since the park found uh, a 4.38 yellow carat in September of 2021. And that time it was a visitor from California, and that was a real beauty. But more than 75,000 diamonds have been found since the year 1906. And 35,000 were discovered uh, since the region became a state park in 1972. Also, this is where the largest diamond ever found in the United States was was discovered. It was in 1924. A white diamond with a pink cast, sounds beautiful, weighed 40.23 carats and was unearthed from the site. It is called the Uncle Sam. It's on display at the National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., if you want to check that out. Um, let's talk about making turquoise. Our friends at Rock and Jim, rock, uh, the letter N, and then jim.com, you can find out how to make this turquoise yourself. Now, it's not real turquoise. It's fake turquoise. I'm not really um, too hip on this, but if you've heard of the Stone Halite, um, you can find and buy this stuff Um not too awful expensive. Um, you cut it into cabochons and, um, you are able to dye it blue. It is, uh, you can use halite or uh, magnesite and they are very famously dyed blue in the past. We used to call it tidy bowl turquoise and, uh, use a flat baking pan, some kitchen tongs, a glass bowl or a jar and the blue it can be tidy bowl toilet cleaner or another dye or food coloring um, or cloth dye so you can check and see um, some of these things can be bought at the dollar store the 99 cent store for a few bucks and prepare the halite by putting it on a baking pan make sure there's no oil on it or anything heat it in the kitchen at about 200 degrees the article says for 30 minutes that opens up the pores a little bit and um, Just be careful if you're gonna put liquid on something that's 200 degrees, it might crack, I would think. They don't have a warning for that. But anyway, fill the jar with a tidy bowl or your dye, put on oven mitts, use tongs, and it says drop the hot halite into the tidy bowl liquid. Be sure the halite is fully immersed and be careful not to splash the blue dye and uh, beware that the stone might crack, I would add to this. Set the bowl or jar aside for several days or weeks. As the halite cools, its pore spaces will contract, and they will suck in the dye. Um, and then you will go to the kitchen sink and again, use your tongs, removing the pieces of halite, uh, rinse them under water for uh, a minute or two, put them on a paper towel or cloth and allow them to dry. You should get a look of turquoise. Um, halite is softer and more por- uh, porous uh, than everything, than most other stones. And uh, it may not turn entirely blue if the stone is especially hard. Again, uh, just you something you'll have to play with. It could be fun to do to a piece or two, but if you wanted, I have a piece that I picked up at just over the years that I use to show people what fake looks like. Because it's always good to have the real, the fake, and everything else to be able to tell alright next alright the monarch's crown Um, the royal central.co.uk Kara Artman tells us that the only consort to wear the monarch's crown this crown you got King Henry VIII here he was pretty famous for um, I believe doing a lot of his wives away and there's a picture of him here, and another picture of one of his consorts, probably uh, one of his many um, side women, because he was always putting his wives to death because of his uh, his uh, bad habits. But anyway, he uh, he had this crown. It was worn by Edward the Con- Confessor, and during his reign in 1003 to 1066. It became a holy relic when Edward was canonized by Pope Alexander III. The crown was used in coronations of every monarch until 1626, but it had an extra outing in 1533 when the second queen of Henry VIII, Anne Bolin, was crowned. Henry VIII uh, proved just two of his six wives with coronations. So you can see, he was a busy man. For Anne Bolin. It was a highly elaborate event. It is thought that Henry VIII wanted to show his subjects that Anne was a legitimate queen. It was decided that Anne would wear St. Edward's crown. Visibly pregnant. It was also said she was wearing the crown. Traditionally meant for a monarch on behalf of the presumption uh, uh, for the male that she was carrying. They, they were hoping it was a baby boy. But the baby turned out to be a girl and the future, uh, the girl of the future Queen Elizabeth I, who would wear St. Edward's crown at her coronation in 1559. So there's more history about this, but let's get into some of the description. Um, You know, this is uh, something that uh, was destroyed, said after the Civil War in 1649 the royal regalia and jewels were destroyed, melted, or sold, including St. Edward's crown. The monarchy was restored in 1660 and a new set of crown jewels was commissioned by King Charles II based on the original St. Edward's crown we see today is one of the items that was made, inspired by its original. This crown is 12 inches tall, weighs 5 pounds, and contains 444 precious and semi-precious gemstones. All the stones are permanently fixed into 22 karat gold frame. Inside is a velvety cap with an earmine trim. The crown that the monarchs practice wearing it to get used to its weight. King George VI um, and Queen Elizabeth II would visit their children uh, during bath time uh, wearing the crown. Wearing this crown. So they wore it all the time, just get used to the weight. During 70 years on the throne, the only time Queen Elizabeth wore this crown was at her coronation. For the 60th anniversary of her coronation, she appeared in a documentary, handling, examining the crown, crown, quickly said it is still as heavy, <laughs> so it wasn't a very comfortable thing. But uh, there's some royal uh, gemstone uh, kind of trivia for you. A giant zebra was discovered. Uh, at least the footprints were discovered in South Africa. Let me get a swig of coffee here. Ah, oh, it's so good. All right at physics.com or .org rather it's uh phys kind of shortened i guess um phys.org the article says uh researchers discover fossilized giant zebra tracks in south africa by charles helm the conversation is the magazine or uh online magazine that he's from They've got some pictures here. My daughter says uh, this guy looks like a horse. and uh, But apparently they're feeling this is a zebra. I don't know what the difference in the footprints are from zebras. But it says here that uh, this mammoth, giant cape zebra, where the only other zebras that, that uh, live there are small, tiny zebras uh, in the past. This zebra became extinct not too long ago, according to their studies, but uh, it was some 450 kilograms it weighed up to that much and that would be just shy of a thousand pounds if you go by pounds. I uh, would have preferred uh, grassland habitat and things like that. Um, so at one time this coastal area was probably uh, part of the main country and has uh, moved uh, moved along I, I'm guessing. But you can read that article if you want to find out more about this giant zebra. Does anyone still pan for gold in California? I got a lot of gold stuff today. I hope you like gold. Some of it is going to be about using gold ore to make cabbage on. So stay tuned for that. And then stay tuned for the confetti crystal phase because that is some awesome stuff. We've also got some rock hounding in Oregon and gicholite, which is a very interesting mineral for our mineral lovers. 170 years later, the gold rush isn't over for some folks in California. You go to fox40.com and you can read, Does Anyone Still plant, Pan for Gold in California by Jeremiah Martinez? And he tells us a little bit about the history of uh, the prospectors and how they came to California to get their gold and there's many goal-panning groups in the Sacramento area. One of them is called the River City Prospectors, the Lady Explorers, Adventures and Prospectors, and other groups for uh, women in different groups that like to go prospecting. So this one uh, lady was going goal-panning and has found uh, flakes and little pickers, little grains and things like that. She's still hoping to find a big nugget, but it says here, the history of finding gold nuggets in California, The one of the largest, was discovered in Sierra County, which is about 121 miles northeast of Sacramento in California, um, is very close to the Nevada state line in the United States here, is known as a monumental, and it weighed 106 pounds. It was discovered in 1868. And uh, today, the find would be worth over $2.4 million, and I bet it would be a lot more than that. That's just the price of gold. I mean, when you go nuggets, it goes, the price goes up, like three to five times the price of gold for a nugget, depending on how, it's, how interesting it is and its rarity. Um, more recently, in 2016, a gold seeker found a streak-sized nugget while prospecting outside of Jamestown. I've actually gone prospecting there before. The chunk of uh, metal is believed to be worth roughly $70,000. So it does go into panning. And how do you know if you have gold? Well, gold is about 18 times heavier than water. And it tends to sink to the bottom of the pan. So you you shake the pan and get everything down to the bottom of the pan And then you uh, move the pan back and forth and slough off the lighter sands until you get down to the black sand. The black sand, you have to be very careful because it's quite heavy too, like the gold. But the gold will still go to the bottom of the black sand. I would keep black sand in my pan if I were you. That's my personal suggestion. And um, there are different techniques you can do. I've got some gold panning videos on YouTube. Just look up Radical Rocks. And you will see, uh, I think I demonstrate the blueberry bounce technique there. This is one that uh, an old prospector from Alaska called Blueberry developed. Uh, It's just a matter of tapping on the pan and causing the gold to kind of come up. If you tap it with the right hand, it will cause the gold and shake. It will cause the gold to come up into the uh, right hand corner of your pan where you can see it, uh, some of it. Okay, so there's places you can go to pan for gold. Make sure and check. Make sure it's legal. Um, It says uh, their club has gold panning classes. Um, It says that you can go to the foothills of the American River, the Yuba River. There are areas you can pan Marshall's Gold Discovery State Park, Auburn State Recreational Area, South Yuba River State Park, or other areas where you might go. Be sure you follow the rules um, some of them only let you pan with a pan in your hand. Be careful of glass in the river. You can slice the ever-living bejesus out of your hands uh, by digging with your hands. I would suggest using your gold pan. They say be careful um, that you uh, don't stir up mud that goes more than, I think, 20 feet down the stream, or you will get in trouble and someone will chew you out. You can gather no more than 15 pounds per day. Um, so anyway there's more on this if you want to check it out feel free to do so agate hunting 101 a beach guide to finding oregon's best hidden gemstones you can go to the oregonlife.com and Daniela denham tells us all about it she's got some beautiful pictures of carnelia and agates and other gemstones. She's got maps here to show you all up and down the coastline where you can explore not only for agates and beautiful gemstones, but very scenic beaches. Um, The Oregon section of the Pacific Ocean is very beautiful. Um, There's lots of geographical things to look at, very picture-worthy. Oregon boasts 363 miles of free and public coastline. So, there is a huge opportunity here. Now, you want to find the best uh, time and the best agates. Um, you want to learn about agates first. Agates are a form of chalcedony, it is a microcrystalline that forms from volcanic rocks. Various ranges of colors and patterns, from white to black, and everything in between. And most of the prized beach finds here are translucents with colors from deep reds to grays and yellows to almost clear and transparent, with most of them being kind of a yellowish to orangish uh, color from what I see here. Some of the things that can be found on or near the ocean up and down the Oregon coast is jasper, Oregon jade, bloodstone, carnelia, petrified wood, and also marine fossils, mostly uh, mollusk found sometimes in the gravel beds. So know what you're looking for. Um, it will probably be a little bit translucent if you hold it up to the sun. Uh, They kind of glow sometimes when the sun is hitting them. The best time to find these agates is when the rocks are exposed, and this is usually after uh, erosion or storms. So the winter and high tide is probably the worst time to go. You want to go during low tide and, and in the winter or in the spring, when the storms have stirred up the rock beds and sand. That's what you want. So you can find out more about this. They recommend being courteous to other uh, agate hunters. They talk about hunting with the sun behind you. That makes them kind of glow. But when you're at the beach, be careful. I had a friend who got hit by a rogue wave. Him and another lady ended up in the hospital. Um, His was very serious. His neck was broken and it affected him for the rest of his life. A good friend of mine that I worked with over uh, at Cal State uh, in, uh, in California, one of the California State Universities when I worked there. He was, uh, I think he was, was he an electrician? I think he ended up being uh, maintenance. His name was Doug, great guy. So yeah, all kinds of really neat places. Some of the beaches where you might find some uh, Oregon agates is Manzanita. It says, comb the beaches for Oregon agates. Uh, There's also all kinds of things to see there. Also, Carnelia agate can be plentiful there. Oceanside, um, favorite, uh, one of the author's favorite beaches. There's uh, seabirds, there's puffins. Wow, that'd be cool. Um, And other things to see there. Rose uh, Rockaway Beach, sounds like a great rock beach. Has seven miles of beaches. There's agates and sights and sounds there. Um, other things Cannon Beach, um, beautiful town. Uh, rock hunting there, beach combing for agates. Agates at Cannon Beach, uh, be careful about high tide. You don't want to get um, hurt there. That can be especially dangerous during king tides or storms. Uh, let's see what else. Central Oregon Coast. We've got Lincoln City, Fogarty Beach, and Depot Bay. And Lincoln City is another place known for great agate hunting. You can find these in the typical spots uh, from Rhodes Inn to Taft. The author has some pictures of some nice findings in their hand there. Um, Depot Bay can, eel, can yield Oregon agates. That's nice. It's also a whale-watching mecca. Newport area, uh, Otter Rock, uh, Beverly Beach State Park, Mulak Beach, Ona Beach, that's O-N-A. Lots of uh, rocky areas there. Agates to find, especially in the winter. Uh, waves crash against the rocks where agates are most likely to be found. And one of the beaches in Newport, Newport is literally called Agate Beach. A spot has been picked over for many years, but you know what? If you look hard enough, you're going to find something there. Otter Rock uh, is a reserve, so you can look for agates, but do not disturb the animals there. There's also uh, Otter Crest Beach, and the Majesty of Devil's Punch Bowl is there. So there's some scenic views there. Beverly State Beach, another one. Uh, Moloch Beach. All these can be some really fine uh, finds. Also, they go into the southern coast, Yachts area, Cummings Creek, Strawberry Hill, and Bob Creek. All these areas. They've got a beautiful uh, piece of carnelian agate here. Looks like they found it. Let's see. Strawberry Way Hillside is a great place to find agates due to the to uh, just they're there. And then Bob Creek is close to Strawberry Hill, and amazing tide pools, hermit crabs, things like that. Beautiful agate. Gold Beach, another area for finding uh, agate and such. So, yeah, you can find all kinds of place. Check out this uh, article, theoregonlife.com. It's just entitled, uh, Agate Hunting 101, A Beach Guide to Finding Oregon's Best Hidden Gemstones by Danielle um, Denham. Check that out. That is cool. All right, let's talk about a gold mine here. This is the Rich Idaho Gold Mining Claim. Shear Zones, and uh, this is is listed for sale, I think, on eBay. You can go check it out. It is on eBay. I'm not sponsoring them. I'm just telling you a little bit about it because there's some good history, some good geology here. So Shear Zones and Quartz Veins with Sulfites were found to host the gold being mined about 1914 in multiple... Uh, vicinities, and locations of the Overlook Mine. The area was rich enough to justify construction of multiple rasters and stamp mills as long and as well as a long tramway to transport the ore down the hill to the, from the Overlook Mine to process at the larger Tim Stamp Mill. Now the geology and the gold. The geology is characterized by the creaceous, biotite, uh, grandurite, on the claim and the surrounding air, uh, area that has this uh, pop-marked grandiorite. There's also this uh, eocene rhyolite dikes and plugs. Uh, there's a alluvium on the valley floor. There is this type of granite that's there and faults. Very uh, notable uh, going to the north, northwest trending Montezuma Fault. Uh, and drainage mineralized rocks were mostly encountered as floats, slope wash, scattered throughout the area, without strong discernible pattern. So this this is a placer claim. The Overlook Vein, upstream from the claim, is the main hard rock gold deposit mine in the area. It trends southwest at north at 40 degrees and dips roughly 50 northwest, while being traceable for roughly a mile. Um, on and off the surface. Reports indicate that about $40,000 in gold and silver was produced at historic prices. That means $20 an ounce for gold. Well, maybe then that would be $35 an ounce for gold. Um, and these things uh, were in the area. Pretty good for the volume of ore. Records indicate that in 1915, $15,021 in gold and 252 ounces of silver were produced from 1,310 tons of ore. So that's not really a lot of ore to pull out um, that much gold at that time at uh, 30, $35 an ounce. The Channel Creek is wide, holding a large volume of material consisting of gravels and and boulders. The creek is workable. There's uh, sandbars and gravels that could host gold, it says. Gold can be found at multiple points, just sampling at the surface. And it goes on to talk about the claims and some of the, uh, the details of buying the mine. So that is the uh, rich, gold, uh, rich Idaho Gold Claim. If that is something you want to look at, you can look that up on eBay right now. I don't know how long it'll be up there. All right, let's talk about some lucky stones. We just had St. Paddy's Day. And uh, hopefully, you had some fun. Hopefully, when it comes to collecting rocks and hunting rocks and doing lapidary, you have the luck of the Irish. I I hope I can get away with that because I'm 6% Irish. So, hopefully, they don't come and stone me. Our friends at Rock and Gym tell us about this again. You can look this up online. These are free articles they email to me all the time. I'm not going to give this whole article. They talk about what is luck, um, different kinds of stones for luck, um, but I'm going to tell you about the main stones. In, um, the article is accredited to Chris McElhiney. if you want to check it out. So let's just go over um, the lucky stones. There, we'll go over five of them. Uh, which some refer to Amazonite as a gambler's stone because of belief in the stone's ability to bring good luck and games of chance or when starting a new venture. Citrine is known as the stone of abundance, uh, manifestation, and good luck. Citrine is believed to promote good fortune and prosperity. When used as an aid for manifesting your desires, it can help your creativity, love life, vitality, and fertility. Jade In addition to attracting abundance of prosperity, jade is believed by some to help strengthen your health, increase longevity. Many view jade as one of the most powerful of all good luck stones. Tiger's eye, which is made, uh, has uh, asbestos in it, so if you grind it up, you're not going to have very good luck because you're going to get mesothemioma, or however you say that, which is lung cancer. The stone is reputed to bring good luck in manners of wealth and money. Tiger's eye is also viewed as a stone of protection paradox many believe paradox will attract financial well-being and refer to it as the money stone many other stones such as rose quartz garnet labradorite are also believed to bring good luck so you know i don't think uh, any uh, stone is going to bring you good luck or bad luck or anything else but it's going to make me feel good cuz i like the i like the stones i like i like uh, the the beauty that the creator put into them and uh, all of the uniqueness of each one of these gemstones, whatever, uh, whatever it is that draws you to them, that is our union here with Radical Rocks. That is our united agreement that we love rocks and minerals and uh, how we use them and what we believe or don't believe, that's all up to each individual. So let's move on because I've got some really great ones here. I've got, wow, let's do a gemstone. or no, let's do a mineral. Getcholite. G-E-T-C-H-E-L-L-I-T-E. This mineral is a beautiful red color. Um, This, uh, you can, you know, it's collectible. It's a dark blood red. It has a resinous luster. Not very hard, though. Only about two on the hardness scale. Um, Your fingernail is probably a little bit harder than this. And at Mindot uh, mindat.org, it's M-I-N-D-A-T.org. You can just look up um, this gemstone and find out all these wonderful facts. Uh, it is found in Providence, Iran. Uh, beautiful red specimens are found there, very collectible. It is also uh, noted to be in France, uh, Vive la France, and also known to be found in United States of America in Nevada uh, in the Humboldt County area. Now, it is considered uh, a sulfite family and uh, it also is associated with uh, some arsenics. Um, so you got to be careful about these minerals. Arsenic, of course, is poisonous uh, to, to touch or to ingest. So be very careful. It has a uh, pearly to vitreous cleavage and surface. It can be transparent. It can streak on a streak plate, red-orange. It tends to be slightly flexible, but is splintery, so can break into pieces. Um, Some of the other areas where you can collect this, or where it has been found, I should say, because I can't give you permission to collect, you have to check on the approval of uh, the landowners or who who therefore controls it. Canada. China, France, Iran, Italy, Japan, um, Pakistan, Russia, Spain, USA, and uh, Kyrgyzstan. It's K-Y-R-G-Y-Z-S-T-A-N. So, that was, that's a tongue twister. So, a very beautiful mineral to add to your collection. And, uh, Those are the best spots to get it. Now let's talk about using gold ore for cabochons. I want you to visualize a gold ore, a California gold ore. It's going to be white. It's going to have some reddish here and there. Um, It's going to have little visible gold on it, speckled, maybe veined, kind of webbed, and imagine that You have taken and cut that with a very thin blade, and you see the gold right there. Very pretty, okay? Now, the problem with this, uh, let me tell you about the article first. It's at Rockin' Jim, and it's called What to Cut California Gold, and the picture is of slabbed gold ore with its uh, hematite veins or iron veins, which can be black to reddish to orange with white quartz and then webbings of gold on these. And um, they talk a little bit about the gold history and then they say finding embedded gold. So there's uh, some people here, you can buy these already made, um, which might be best because you could theoretically grind away your gold. But if you know where to get a hold of... uh, you know, good gold ore with webbing like that, this might be something that you'd like to take on. But uh, the Shannon Poe from the American Mining Rights Association, AMRA, has been digging at the Screamer mine near the Angeles Camp in California. And here there's a lot of uh, quartz that has gold embedded in it. So when they slab it up, uh, this sometimes helps the gold, uh, show up even better. So now you just, uh, form a shape around it and cut it. Um, it's not super complex. Now, the bad thing about this quartz is it can crumble apart. So you want to use the thinnest blade. It's going to be brittle. (laughs) You know, you may want to, um, You may want to give this a hardness treatment. If you want to know how to do hardness treatment, I have two videos on YouTube, and there's not a lot of them on there. I've got one technique that you can do um, with just an oven, just make sure everything's well ventilated, Um, or I have another one where you can use a, um, I think I do it with a heating pad, and also a vacuum pressure uh, chamber, which actually really does a great job Of hardening um, the stones so that they don't crumble apart they recommend starting the shaping with a um, 80 grit steel wheel Uh, I personally like to use something a little finer 100 grit or even uh, 140 grit Uh, and if it's a brand new diamond wheel you got to be careful they're very aggressive if something is kind of brittle or has a potential to um, crack apart you really want to be careful during the shaping process that you're not um, jarring the stone too much. So uh, use your best wisdom on that and then just keep going down until to 200 grit, 300 grit, to uh, 400 to 600 or whatever you have if you go from 2 to, to, to 6 or 2 to 4 to 6, whatever you have. And then you can just polish it at that point um, with some Zam or um, you could use some uh, thin tin oxide, whatever works best. Uh, this article is accredited by Russ Kanuth. It's K-A-N-I-U-T-H. Just give him full credit for that. And let's talk about the copper uh, confetti uh, inclusions. I want to look this article up. Um, here it is. It is the confetti chrysophase from Indonesia, I received an email from uh, a, a GIA, the Gem Institute Association. Um, this uh, GIA lab is located in Carlsbad. They have come across this gemstone that was submitted to them. It was mined in Indonesia. It is a uh, chalcedony that is very unusual because of multitudes of blue, green, and metallic inclusions, which look like confetti, thrown into the air. Testing confirmed that these inclusions include chrysocola, malachite, native copper, and cuperite. A gem dealer who submitted these specimens plans to market this new find under a trade name, Aquadite. It's A-Q-U-A-D-I-T-E. This is a vibrantly colored chalcedony and will no doubt add a lot of interest um, to the gemstone market. They've got some pictures of it here. It is amazing. Um, It says here that uh, they have some cabochons here that uh, weigh uh, 78.80 carats. It uh, has, it does, it has reds, it has coppers, it has blues. It is a beauty. Um, Wow, you see this, Willow? Isn't that pretty? Yeah. Yeah, yep, that's a beauty. That's my daughter, just showing her the beautiful gemstone. Recently, the author examined an interesting new variety of chalcedony from Indonesia. Samples were sourced from the Greek dealer and documented the new mineral. Gemologically, the properties are consistent with chalcedony, refractive index of 1.54, specific gravity of 2.57, but it is notable for its inclusions, much like confetti thrown in the air, As a celebration, a multitude of blue, green, and metallic inclusions shown in these figures here. Some of them are zoomed in, quite beautiful. Um, They used a spectroscopic and energy dispersive X-ray fluorescent analysis combined with microscopic observation. And that's how they've discovered this chrysocola, malachite, native copper, and cooperite. Quite beautiful. Again, this will be marketed under the trade name Aquadine, uh, Aquadite, uh, A-Q-U-A-D-I-T-E. All right, guys, that's about all I have for you now. I want to thank you for tuning in. Please like and subscribe and share. Help us grow the channel. We really appreciate it. Until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.